Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, starts in verse 5. He said, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, waving their hands around so they can be seen by others. He said, truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you go to pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, he said, don't, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for, for they think that they will be heard for their many words and their big churchy words. Don't be like them. He said, for your father knows what you need before you even ask. He said, then pray. He said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. He said, your kingdom Come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you don't, if you don't forgive others, if you don't forgive others sins, others trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Lord, we come to you today and we thank you for your word. We come to you in the name of your Son and we thank you for your word. Lord, I know there are people in here today who need to seek forgiveness. I know there are people here in the word today that need to provide forgiveness. Lord, for every one of us in here, let your, your word penetrate our hearts and penetrate our minds, and we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Y'all, we call, we call that little section that I read you from the Gospel of Matthew, we call that the Lord's Prayer. It's Matthew chapter 6, and let me tell you, the, the Christian life is about heart change. It's about our heart being transformed. And there is no better example anywhere of a changed heart than in the way that you and I view forgiveness. So we've been walking through and talking through and diving deep into prayer for about three weeks or so. We interrupted a year-long verse-by-verse through, uh, uh, through the book of Acts to talk about prayer because we felt super led uh, that the Holy Spirit was really leading us into a little season, a time of prayer, of focusing on prayer, and so that's what we've been doing for about three weeks. Today I want us to look at praying with a forgiving heart. Praying with a forgiving heart. That's even the title of our message, if messages have to have titles. Primarily we're going to be in the last three or four verses of, of uh, Matthew 6, this passage, verses 12 through 15, and really 12, 14, and 15. And we're going to get to that in a second. We'll get that in a second. You know, if you have ever been overwhelmed or overcome by the guilt of your sin, I'm going to bet that you can relate to some of King David's words in the Psalms. You can relate to his expression 
in Psalm 32 of the liberty and of the freedom, freedom that is found in forgiveness, both getting and giving. He says in verse 1, David does in Psalm 32, he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered up. Let me ask you this. If God were to openly parade our sin in front of everybody in this room, raise your hand if you would not want to crawl up under a chair and hide forever. There ain't no hands going up. Y'all, to be, to be for, forgiven is to be free from the bondage and the chain and the shackle of sin's debt and the fear of the punishment that comes next. There is tons of scripture, tons of testimony in the, in, in, the, in the Bible praising God for his forgiveness. Look at Psalm 103, verse 2 and 3 of Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases. And he goes on in verse 12, and he says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west is a metaphor for it's done away with. It can't get any further away. Micah, the prophet Micah in chapter 7, in verse 18 of chapter 7 of Micah, he says God pardons our iniquity. He pardons our iniquity. The next verse in verse 19, he says he will cast our sins into the depths of the seas. That's another metaphor for he throws our sin into the abyss never to be heard and seen from again. Jesus, he taught that a heart that has been forgiven a whole bunch ought to love a whole bunch. A heart that's been forgiven a lot in chapter 7 of Luke, a heart that's been forgiven a lot loves a lot. So I believe that our, our worldview, our mindset, our thought process the way that we think it will be affected by how often that we meditate on God's forgiveness of us if we regularly think about the depth of our own sinfulness like the woman in in Luke 7 who washed Jesus feet with her tears in her hair if we consider the ginormous depth of God's forgiveness, our love for him will grow by leaps and bounds. And our love for our friends and our family and our neighbors and our brothers and sisters will grow. But it is when we forget God's benefit that our hearts can harden up in pride. If we don't check ourselves, y'all, if, if we don't stay careful, those of you like me who have been forgiven a whole lot can start to act like those who think that they have been forgiven a little bit, and consequently, those people become painfully slow to forgive others who sin against them. When that happens, when that happens, the, the soil of our hearts is in danger of being loosened up and fertilized, and bitterness begins to grow. Bitterness grows and unforgiveness grows. And if that's true, and I believe that it is true, you and I got to consistently, consciously, systematically practice, I'm going to call it the art of forgiveness. If we don't, then the unforgiveness 
will absolutely wreck the effectiveness of our prayer lives. We're talking about prayer. And if you don't think that an unforgiving, bitter heart doesn't affect the, your prayer life, doesn't radically change the effectiveness of your prayer life, the devil has deceived you. Jesus taught that the importance of, of forgiveness and how it relates to prayer, he taught that in Matthew chapter 6. So I want us to take a closer look at the pieces of, of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 that relate to the principle of forgiveness. Look at verse 12. We're going to look at 12, 14, and 15. He says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is a beautiful beautiful piece of scripture and I believe it teaches us three characteristics of a forgiving heart and its effectiveness and it's and it's the way that it changes and transforms and affects prayer if we can apply this these these thoughts I guess today if we can apply them to our lives we'll we're also going to learn how how pride fights against the obedient practice of forgiveness and how pride affects our prayer lives first thing is this first point is this and if you don't have a, a worship guide raise your hand I want to get one in your hand but the first thing is this there's one couple right there if somebody can grab some a forgiving heart is fueled by a healthy awareness of our own sin and there's one over here as well a forgiving heart is fueled, it's energized by healthy awareness of our own sin. The beginning of verse 12 says, please, Lord, please, 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 please forgive us of our debts. That word debt in verse 12, it is probably a literal rendering of an Aramaic word, and that's the language that Jesus preached in. It's a literal rendering of that, and it means sin, and it pictures sin as this thing that requires reconciliation with God. This thing called sin requires to be made right with God, to be reconciled with Him. So as Jesus is here, He's teaching His guys how to pray. He includes confession of sin as a necessary part of a of God-dependent prayer. Confession of sin is an integral part of that. We ought to pray, forgive us our debts. Forgive me, Lord, of my sin. And then we maintain this, this posture or this daily awareness of our own sinfulness. The more we can do that, the more we'll be led to regularly ask him to forgive us. That is self-awareness. And that kind of self-awareness is a healthy part of you and I growing spiritually. Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul, he referred to himself as wretched. And I know for me, when I remember that I myself, in the big grand scheme of things, am wretched. That's the times when I look up and I praise God for the victory that is found only in Christ. That's the times when I look up and I, I think, I wake up in the morning, I look up and I'm just like overwhelmed that I'm even saved because of my wretchedness. And I'm not talking about an, an unhealthy awareness of myself I'm not talking about some some twisted messed up weird low self-esteem 
self-esteem. I'm talking about just a, a, a healthy biblical view of, you, of humanity, uh, of myself. And it energizes my heart with forgiveness. It fuels my heart with forgiveness. There's this, this image in Luke chapter 18. This is not in my notes, so I'm, I want to go to Luke chapter 18 because I thought about this. Luke chapter 18, and Jesus is talking, it's a parable that he gives, and he, it's called, probably in your Bible, it's probably called the, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector, or the publican, excuse me, the, the, the Pharisee and the publican, one of those things. So, so he's telling, Jesus is telling this parable in Luke 18, it start, starts in verse 9, and these two men, they go up to the, to the church, they go up to the temple to pray, and one of them is a Pharisee, and one of them is a tax collector, and the Pharisee, uh, he's standing there, and you know, the Pharisees were the holy rollers, they're the church folks, they're the people that go to church 4.5 times a month, and they're checking all the boxes, and they're holy, right, they got Bibles in every one of their pockets, and this guy, this Pharisee is praying like this, Lord, thank you so much that I'm not like the tax collector, Lord, thank you so much that I'm not like the homeless guy living in the street. Thank you so much, Lord, that I'm not like the drug addict or the drunk. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that. Thank you I'm not like that. And the tax collector beat his breast, the Scripture says, I think in verse um, 13 says, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, Scripture says, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is healthy self-awareness. The Pharisee had absolutely no self-awareness. And Scripture tells us there in verse 14, I tell you that this man, talking about the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted y'all I'm talking about having an accurate view of who we are a biblical view of humanity now if we flip this over pride pride is the enemy of a forgiving heart unforgiving people In other words, people with bitterness in their hearts, they think they're better than other folks. That's the Pharisee in that that parable that Jesus told. They think that they're superior to other folks. They tend to be very self-unaware. They have a very shallow recognition of their own, to use the word I used a, a minute ago, their own wretchedness. A very shallow recognition of their own wretchedness, their own sinfulness. And that lack of self-awareness It makes it super hard for them to even imagine, for a moment to even imagine that they themselves are quite capable of committing the very sins that they stubbornly refuse to forgive you of when you sin against them. Unforgiving people just don't typically think about the depth of their own junk. Very often, they're way too busy looking at the teeny little splinter in your eye, and they got a four-by-four sticking out of their ear. Y'all, that's what people do. Unforgiving people, that's what they do. Now, in contrast with that, people with forgiving hearts humbly acknowledge, usually humbly acknowledge, 
their own need for a constant, never-ending, flowing supply of God's grace and His mercy. The result of that kind of mindset, that forgiving heart kind of mindset, is that they, people with a heart like that usually just stand ready to forgive, ready, willing, and able to forgive. John Stott said this. It should be on the screen. It is. He said, once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, once we realize what we have done against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. That's what happens. So, y'all, a forgiving heart, number one, is... Is, is, is fueled by a, a healthy awareness of our own junk. The number two saying I'm going to give you uh, uh, about a forgiving heart is this, that it is, and this is huge, that it is expected of the one who is forgiven. A forgiving heart is expected of those of us that are forgiven. So Jesus says at the beginning of verse 12, he says that we should pray that the Lord would forgive us our debts. And then at the end of verse 12, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Y'all, there's a very powerful little two-letter word in there. You know what that two-letter word is? I think I circled it. I did. That word is as. We are to forgive others as the Lord forgave us. We are to forgive the person who kicked me in the head when I was down. I'm to forgive him the same way that the Lord forgave me. Jesus makes an assumption here. And it's a big assumption. And it's a pretty important assumption. In fact, I, I often think and I say that if we're going to wear the Jesus t-shirt and we're going to put the little fish on our car, in other words, if we're going to claim the name of Christ, if we're going to wear the little, the little cross around our neck, then we ought to act like it. We ought to act like it. We ought to model that to the world. People should look at Christians and say, you are the most forgiving people ever. But I'm afraid that often they say they're the ones that eat their young. Y'all, if we're going to claim the name, we should act like that. People should look at us and just say, man, y'all are so kind. And y'all are so compassionate. And y'all are so forgiving. It should be the generally expect a forgiving heart. should be the, the generally accepted practice of a child of the one true king. It should be the norm. It should not be the exception. It should be the rule that we have forgiving hearts. This is a huge thing. Y'all, this is a huge thing. The Lord expects Christians to be forgiving people. In fact, the Word of God entertains no other option. You and I are called, yeah, you and I are called to the very highest standard of practicing forgiveness. We are called to forgive as God forgives. That's a high standard. That's a high calling. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, Be kind to one another. Y'all, that's another lost art, kindness. Paul says, Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, he says, put on then, and he calls believers chosen ones, 
holy and beloved. He says if you're God's chosen one, if you are holy, if you are beloved, if you are set apart, if you are consecrated, if you got the fish on the back of your car, he says put on then compassionate hearts. He says kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And not just forgiving each other, here's that word again, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Again, pride is the enemy of a forgiving heart. Folks with bitter hearts have been deceived somehow into thinking that somehow they deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve forgiveness. I didn't deserve forgiveness when I was forgiven. I deserve to be thumped off the planet. And if our mindset begins with I des- what I deserve is death and what I get is grace, that should penetrate our hearts, y'all. Somehow people with unforgiving hearts have been deceived into thinking that they deserve forgiveness, but the people who wrong them don't. Does that make sense? Begs the question, why else would they have such an... Why would they be so unwilling or so hesitant to grant forgiveness? We all know folks like this, y'all. Maybe it's us. Maybe it's me. My prayer is that it's not. But people who are unforgiving seem to have an incredibly short memory concerning their own sin. Pride has kind of erased it. And they've forgotten the blackness of their own sin. It's blinded the eyes of their hearts so they no longer see the ugliness of their past. Often failing to to remember the depth, and I mean the depth of the grace and the forgiveness and the love and the mercy that God has so freely lavished on them. And when that happens, they're super slow to pass the grace and the forgiveness on to other people. Again, though, in contrast, people with forgiving hearts have a long memory and sometimes a very detailed memory concerning their own sin, but but often have a short memory concerning the sin of somebody else. In other words, people with a forgiving heart stand often super ready and quick to forgive other people. And I'm telling you from a emotionally healthy kind of perspective the long-lasting memory of your own sin it can be tough but the remembrance produces a a joy as your heart can reflect on the liberty and the freedom that's found in the forgiveness of Christ and that same kind of joy it fills their hearts when as expected, because we're expected as Christians to be forgiving, and I know for me, when I extend forgiveness to somebody, it fills my heart with joy, and that's what should happen. So the Lord expects a forgiving heart from those of us who have accepted his pardon. For those of us who have accepted his pardon, for those of us who live and bathe and wallow in his forgiveness. The last thing I want to tell you, want to talk about, and on the surface this is going to sound wrong, and it's going to sound theologically wrong, but you're going to have to hang with me for five or six minutes. And it's this, a forgiving heart secures its own forgiveness and secures God's attentive ears. 
A forgiving heart does not create its own forgiveness. A forgiving heart doesn't force God into something, but a forgiving heart secures its own forgiveness. A forgiving heart secures God's ear, that God's going to listen. Verses 14 and 15, Jesus lays on me and you a pretty sobering and maybe even a scary or a frightening condition on our forgiveness. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, if you don't, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, here's what he means. Y'all, it means that bitterness, hatefulness, bitterness, or or a refusal to forgive It breaks our fellowship with God. It absolutely wrecks our fellowship with God. Since God refuses to forgive those who refuse to give others, because he refuses to forgive those of us who who refuse to forgive others, you can just make this conclusion. You You can pretty clearly conclude that bitterness will wreck the prayer life of a believer. It'll crush it. It'll crush it. It'll hinder, in a big way, the the communicating, the communication pathway between me and the Lord if I got a bitter, unforgiving heart. Lehman Strauss, he wrote in a book, the name of the book was Sense and Nonsense About Prayer. He said, this is a strong statement. He said, the person who will not forgive had better hope that he will never sin. The person who who will not forgive who refuses to forgive, had sure better hope that he will never sin. And so y'all have the potential of being overly redundant. And really, I'm being intentionally redundant. I'm going to say for the third time that pride is the enemy of a forgiving heart. Unforgiving people with bitter, unforgiving hearts refuse to release and free their brothers and sisters from sin's debt because they have put themselves on the throne as the judge and the jury and the executioner. And as the judge, they're going to dole out whatever punishment they think is necessary until their offenders, the people who have sinned against them, until those people prove that they're worthy of forgiveness. I can tell you for me, I wasn't, am not, and won't ever be worthy in and of something that I bring to the table, worthy of forgiveness. No, I'm worthy of being thumped off the planet. And unforgiving people put themselves on the throne as the judge to, to make that decision. Now, contrast that again with people who actually have forgiving hearts. These people, they leave vengeance in the hands of the Lord. Forgiving people have no interest whatsoever in getting even y'all hear this because they know that God has already gotten even with sin on the cross outside the gates in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago God got even with sin there the blood of Christ spilled all over that cross was getting God getting even with sin it's for him it's not for us whether or not you and I are forgiving kind of people whether or not we have forgiving hearts it will astronomically 
impact the effectiveness of our prayers. We have a daily awareness of our own, uh, our own sinfulness, of our own junk. We're going to be way more willing to fulfill our responsibility as Christ followers to practice forgiveness toward those who repent of their sin against us. And as a result, with a forgiving heart, we please God. We guard our own hearts from bitterness, and we live in the freedom that is found in forgiveness. Y'all, in the, in the past few weeks, I've said that prayer is the way that we communicate and connect with God and talk to Him uh, about, about what's happening in our lives. We give Him our hurts and our worries and our concerns and our joys and our hopes and our dreams and our wants and our needs. And He wants to hear all of it. He loves to hear all of that stuff. And when we are forgiven in Christ, we're assured that He not only hears, but that He will answer. But, but here's the thing. Once you and I receive this incredible gift of forgiveness, once you and I receive salvation, forgiveness, it is imperative, it is critical that we share that same forgiveness with other people. C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Y'all, it's easy to forgive somebody when it's not a big deal. You know, when it's not a big deal. But C.S. Lewis said we need to forgive the inexcusable because he has forgiven the inexcusable in us. I'm going to ask you, are there people in your lives that you need to extend forgiveness to? That's a rhetorical question because I bet you for everybody in this room, the answer is yes, there are. The Bible teaches that when we withhold forgiveness from others, we're really hurting ourselves. We're really hindering God from answering our prayers. Jesus' words in Mark chapter 11, he says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you're standing there praying, about to pray, he says, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Jesus always links prayer and forgiveness because prayer and forgiveness go together. Forgiveness breaks the chains of resentment and, and, and bitterness and vengeance that can just shackle up our hearts when we don't forgive. Without forgiveness, life just gets into this cycle of of bitterness that's controlled by resentment and retaliation and I'm going to get him back and you're not going to believe what he did but I'm going to get him, I'm, I'm this and that and the other. But when you forgive the inexcusable that somebody's done to you because God has all, already forgiven the inexcusable in you, you free yourself up. You free yourself up to be able to come to God and know that your prayers are heard and to know that your prayers are answered. Because you can connect with him in that prayer. Forgiven the inexcusable. I want to tell you a story. Guy on the screen, his name is Greg. I met Greg in the fall of 2015. Greg was living under a bridge on 3rd Avenue. Greg, he was probably about 62 years old, I think. Infectious smile. He was the sweetest guy. 
Greg had a master, has a bachelor's degree from Fort Valley State, a master's degree in education from Fort Valley State. Greg was an All-American in the 4x100 relay, ran the fourth leg. He played football on Fort Valley State's football team. Greg was a scholar athlete. Greg was a really sweet, nice guy. Greg was a Christian. He was a believer. He loved the Psalms. <coughs> Greg also spent about 30 years as a crack addict. Greg graduated from college, got his master's degree, went to work at a high school in Phoenix City coaching football and teaching. <clears throat> got mad at a principal over there one time, gave him the finger and walked out and quit. Went to work at some other place over in Phoenix City. This is like 30 years ago. Went to work at some other place and one guy at that job gave him some crack. And from that day, Greg was addicted. Cost him his relationship with his wife. She divorced him, cost him his relationship with his kids, cost him a roof over his head. For the next 25 or 30 years, Greg was in and out of, of homelessness, mostly in homelessness. Crack apparently jacks up your heart. And Greg in 2015 was, had terrible congestive heart failure. January the 6th, <clears throat> well, let me back up. About the end of December, he goes into Columbus Hospice. And he's in hospice, and he loves Psalms. <clears throat> and I used to—I was going up there every day, and I'd just sit and I'd read Psalms to him. And he—I watched him slowly start to not be able to breathe real good. Well, his cousin told me, uh, gave me his sister's phone number, Greg's sister's phone number. Said she hadn't talked to him in 30 years. I called his sister up, and I said, "Greg is in Columbus Hospice." I said, "And barring a miracle from God, he's not coming out alive. You need to—you really need to go visit him." She said. He burned that bridge 30 years ago. He can rot in hell. You know, that's what she said. He can rot in hell. I called her back the next day. I said, please don't hang up on me because she said that and hung up. I said, the window's closing. I said, and every day I would go up there and ask the nurse at the nurse's station, did his sister come? Nope. Did his sister come? Nope. One day the answer was yes, she came. And when I got in the room, there was a napkin on the night table, and it said, Greg, I came by to see you. You were asleep. Well, he wasn't asleep. He was unconscious because the night before he went to sleep and didn't wake up. He died two days later. And I asked the nurse, I said, how long was she in there? And he said, or she said, about three, four, five minutes. I said, okay. So Greg died about two or three days later cousin asked me to do the funeral. It was about the second funeral funeral I've ever done. So I said, I'd be happy to. Is there anything that you would want me to do or say at the funeral? And his cousin said, yeah, you need to get his sister to forgive him. And I thought, don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby, like, <laughs> I don't know how. I ain't, that's not me. You know, that's the Lord does that. And he said, just preach forgiveness. Just preach forgiveness. So we get to the funeral, and it was about a two-hour funeral. And I said anybody that wanted to say anything could say anything. There must have been 100, 150 people there. It was at Rose Hill Methodist Church on Hamilton Road. The other three guys that ran the 4x100 relay with him back in college were there. Good-looking, athletic guys, and they got up there and talked. And the dude that ran the third leg said, I used to get the baton to him as fast as I could because I just wanted to see him run. He was the best athlete I've ever seen in my life. They're talking about Greg, and his sister is sitting on the front row, and she got this hat about this big on, and she's sitting on the front row, and 
about an hour and a half in, and we're preaching hard on forgiveness, she just starts wailing, falls on her knees and is wailing, Greg, I forgive you, Greg, I forgive you, Greg, I forgive you. She forgave him. She forgave him. God had pardoned Greg 25 years earlier. God had pardoned him. God had granted him forgiveness and salvation 25 years earlier, maybe 30 years earlier. But it took her 25 years to forgive him of his offenses to her. She lived in ugliness and bitterness for 25, 30 years. Dude, there was almost like literal shackles on her that I saw flying off when she fell down and forgave him. A bitter, unforgiven heart, y'all, it jacks you up. And if you have a right view of yourself and a right view of God, you can't not forgive other people. She pardoned him. I said a little while ago, Micah chapter 7, that God, it says that God pardons iniquity. Let me tell you about pardons. 1829, a man named George Wilson, he robbed and he jeopardizes the life of a mailman, a mail, mail carrier. And back in 1829, apparently that was a capital offense. He was sentenced to death, but he received a presidential pardon. Now, to the utter shock and disbelief of the Oval Office, he rejected the pardon. George Wilson, the President of the United States, had set him free. George Wilson said, no, I don't accept the pardon. Case goes to the Supreme Court. And the issue was simply this. If the President of the United States gives you a pardon, aren't you pardoned? Can you reject a pardon given to you by the President of the United States? Chief Justice at the time, his name was John Marshall, and he penned the decision for the majority. And it read, simply read this, a pardon is an act of grace, but delivery is not complete without acceptance. A pardon is given. A pardon is given, but it ta can't take effect unless it is accepted and received. A pardon has two sides. The offeror, ending with O-R, the offeror, the person who's offering the pardon, and the offeree, the person to whom the pardon is offered. And unless the offeree accepts the offer of the offeror, the pardon can't take effect and be, or it can't be mandated. And you ask, how could anyone in their right mind refuse a pardon for a death sentence? That man was a fool. Raise your hand if you think that man was a fool. How can you not be raising your hand? He was getting put to death. President grants him a pardon. And he said, no, he's a fool. Well, what would you say, though, if, if I told you that if you're not a, a Christ follower today, that you too are refusing a pardon? A pardon that would result in you spending eternity in the presence of God rather than eternity separated from him in hell. On that cross 2,000-something years ago, the eternal God, having been satisfied by the sacrificial death of his son, has offered every man, every woman, every boy, every girl a pardon. In his steadfast love, in his grace, in his mercy, in his, in Hebrew, chesed, his covenantal love, he has offered me and you a pardon. 
and we do not deserve it. Put me, y'all, in the front of the line. I still wake up every day and cannot even believe that I'm saved. What a wretched man I am. But he's offered me and you a pardon. We just got to accept the pardon. Y'all, if you have not accepted that pardon, and there's different ways that I want to see us respond today. If you've never accepted that pardon, way number one is please consider that offer. He's given it to you. He's dropped it in your lap. You just got to accept it. There's another way to respond today. Really two other ways to respond today. I feel so led to say these two things. Somebody in your life needs you to forgive them. And you may, you may be like Greg's sister. They burned that bridge 25 years ago. But y'all, if you are forgiven, you have to be forgiven. I could make a real good case that if you are not forgiving, then you are not forgiven. That you haven't been forgiven. That the pardon's been given to you, but you hadn't accepted it. It is expected of Christians to forgive and not be bitter and not be unforgiving and not be vengeful and not be spiteful and not be retaliatory and not be any other word that would fit in that blank. It is expected for us to be the most forgiving people on the planet. I heard one Buddhist guy one time say, I'd love, I love your Jesus, but I just don't like your Christians because they're so unlike your Jesus. What an indicting, terrible thing for us to convey to the world. So somebody in your life needs you to forgive them. And I'm going to guess that most of us here have somebody in our life we need to ask forgiveness from. Pride is what gets in the way of both of those things. Please today, Scripture in a hundred places talks about deny self, deny self, deny self. Please today, suppress whatever pride you got going on and either forgive somebody that needs forgiven or ask forgiveness from somebody who you need to ask forgiveness from. Let me pray. Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus this morning. And Lord, we come to you and we... we Lord, if we have put ourselves on the throne as the judge, please, Lord, boot us off of it. Lord, if I've got a prideful spirit, Lord, please squash it. And Lord, I know there are people listening or watching that, that your pardon's been sitting in their lap for 20 years, but they've never grabbed a hold of it. They've never accepted it. And Lord, I know you can't push a rope. I know you can't bend people's arms behind their backs because that's not the way you do it. So Lord, my prayer is this morning that anybody that's been sitting with that pardon in their lap for five years, 10 years, 20, 30, 40, whatever it is, Lord, that today would be the day that they would say yes. And Lord, here's what they're saying yes to. 
a healthy awareness of their own sin, Lord, that an, an acknowledgement of their own sin, a turning, a repentance away from that and turning towards you, confessing, Lord, that you died on a cross to take care of that debt and walked out of that grave alive to provide eternal life. And y'all, if that's you today, believe in that, confess in that, and accepting that will transform your heart and mind. So, Lord, I lift our church family up to you. Anybody that's watching or listening online, Lord, I lift them up to you. Lord, we praise your name for the forgiveness that you offer us. Again, in Jesus' name, amen.